Good morning, beloved. How's the volume today? No? Better? Okay. That's not too bad on the back. We have uh, a wonderful day ahead of us, uh, the Lord's Day. But before we get started uh, in worship, I would like to ask Robin Hawk to come up and give us a few words from uh, the BCE, the Board of Christian Education. Thank you, Stephen. Hello, church family. Uh, yes, Board of Christian Ed has two announcements for you this morning. The first one is regarding Sunday school that starts on September 10th, a little bit more than a month from today. And um, we have a quite a robust adult class uh, that meets every Sunday. But our, our higher calling is actually to teach the next generation the ways of faith, to give them the knowledge of our faith. And so our plea right now is that we need a teacher. Um, our, our one children's class uh, is ranges in age from three to eight right now, unless we hear otherwise. And it's a, it's a fun little group of kids. And Christine Morton has done a wonderful job teaching them. There's a curriculum that um, is already made for you, for the teacher. All the, everything's provided, you don't have to plan a thing. What we're moving toward, since we haven't found anybody stepping forward to do the full commitment yet, we're moving toward possibly having a small team of teachers who would rotate. So if you are interested in being on that team, or if you feel like this is your calling and you should do it because the kids would do better with a stable one-person teacher. We know that. But if you are interested and could help, please contact me, Robin Huck. Thank you. Announcement number two has to do with August 26, which is our Jonathan Edwards bus tour. Last year, the bus tour was a huge success. Everybody who went had a blast. I was really bummed because I helped plan it, but then I couldn't go. But this year, I'm all set. Terry Dedell gets our money. It's only $25. The Board of Christian Ed, along with a few donors, have uh, underwritten this trip. And so we're only asking for you to pay about half of what this actually costs. So $25 takes you on a, on a day-long bus trip with a tour guide, knowledgeable tour guide, and uh, lots of fun people. You do have to supply your own lunch. And, uh, but that's it. All the information is in your bulletin and in the August newsletter, prayer letter, uh, and we really hope you come. Um, we need registrations to come in pronto because uh, we have a deadline coming up and the bus company is saying, is this a go or not? And we need to get our uh, refund if we don't go. We don't want to have an empty bus going down to Massachusetts and back. So if you could decide quickly, in fact, Terry, I've got my $25 here right now. Would you sign, would you sign me up? Checks made out to who?
check should be made out to whom? Thank you. She probably. Okay, great. Thank you. And now uh, uh, we would ask uh, Jerry Morton to come up and uh, apprise us of some important information regarding the budget. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, Robin had it down. I'll I'll blame her. Can I blame a sister in Christ? Thank you, Jerry. You're welcome. Good morning, everyone. So as Steve said, my name is Jerry Morton. Most of you know me. For those that don't, I'm the treasurer here at the Congregational Church. And I've been asked by the uh, elders to just come up and do a, a brief mid-year overview for where we're at with the budget, um, just kind of fill you guys in. Uh, those of you that might be visiting for the first time, we're a congregational church. So we work together as a congregation uh, to come up with uh, how we are going to be governed, I guess is the best way to look at it. But the budget itself is a function of the elders and the deacons working together uh, prayerfully uh, to try to find the best way to um, be good stewards of that which the Lord provides for us as we seek to uh, meet the, the mission statement of our church, which is essentially spreading the gospel uh, locally, regionally, and across the world. So we do that by supporting missionaries in other ways. Most of our budget is what I would consider non-discretionary. Bills and payroll and things that just have to be paid. Um, but we do have a few areas, uh, boards and committees. We've asked the chairs of these committees to come up with uh, budgets and submit them. That's in the process uh, right now in work. And um, over the next, I'd say, uh, four to six weeks, we'll be putting together um, the first crack at our budget for 2024. Um, the reason I'm here this morning is just to give you guys a, a rough idea uh, through the first half of the year, we're running about $6,000 behind what we've uh, planned in our budget for giving. Um, our expenditures are down just a little bit, too, so it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, but the good news is we've got exactly what the Lord wants us to have. Uh, the goal for the elders and for the deacons is to find the best way to use that money um, to honor and glorify God in all that we do. Uh, we know that we're not running short in any way, shape, or form. If we were, God would provide that for us. Um, what we need to do is just figure out how to use what he's given us. So the um, 116th Psalm is interesting for those of you that haven't looked at it. There's been a deliverance from a, a great trial. And um, around verse 12 or 13, the, the author of the Psalm, uh, he says, how, how, what can I give back to the Lord for his great deliverance that he's given me? And uh, realizing that God owns everything anyway, he says, I'm going to raise up my cup of salvation, or thanksgiving. Sometimes words get changed around a little bit, but it's a cup of thanksgiving to the Lord for his deliverance, and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And what I'm really here to do this morning is just to ask you guys, uh, one, is to recognize how blessed we are as a church, um, certainly materially and, and financially, but especially spiritually. Uh, we can come here every day, every Sunday, and we can hear the word preached. We meet together in Bible studies, and it's all about... God's word here at this church. Uh, so please, uh, raise up the cup of your salvation, your thankfulness. I know we're going to do that uh, together just a little bit later. Um, the cup of that thank of thankfulness, by the way, just so you know, is uh, drank. It's the, the last glass of wine they drink at the end of the Passover celebration. And, uh, and it's done in recognition of the thankfulness for God's deliverance and God's provision. So, and then the second thing is to call upon the name of the Lord. I ask you, please, Pray for the budget process. Pray for your elders and for your deacons as we go through this process. 
and pray that God would show us very clearly uh, by giving us wisdom and discernment how to use the money in the church the best way that glorifies him, uh, accomplishes what he wants done uh, with the congregational church here in Woodstock. Okay? Uh, and if any of you guys have questions on the budget process, please don't be quiet. Come up, talk to me or one of the elders, one of the deacons at some point through the process. Uh, concerns that you have, ideas that you have, uh, we're welcome and, and open to all of that. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, I have an announcement as well. Uh, at one of our recent meetings, uh, I was reminded, I have to be reminded all the time, calendars and everything, and even then I miss and, and uh, miss the mark, don't we all? What is happening at, on September 10th is the commencement or resumption, if you will, of our adult Sunday school. And I am so pleased to inform you that I am excited, and I hope I would convey to you that excitement, uh, that we will have a 12-week period, 12 sessions, and it may go longer or shorter, depending on what happens on those Sundays. It will be a study on the Holy Spirit. And I will have more to offer later on. We'll put something in the bulletin, and we will uh, keep you uh, better informed, but uh, our dear brother uh, Gil Emery has uh, offered and is, will assist us in, in getting that uh, going, but I would, uh, I would greatly encourage you to be there for every session because it is a marvelous study. So that is uh, my announcement. And the only other thing I have to ask of you is your indulgence for a piece of electronic gear up here today. I normally would not have this, but thanks to my sister Robin Huck, I've learned how to keep the screen on all the time. Why do I have this? We ran out of toner yesterday, and I was unable to print out things as I normally do. So that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. I guess I've got to spring for some new toner somewhere. That said, this is the Lord's Day. Let us take a moment to prepare ourselves for worship. Would you please rise and join me in our call to worship? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is indeed the day you have made. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're so grateful for these words of encouragement, for it seems that you have at every turn nothing but our interest at heart. But we know that all creation groans for the future when we will be gathered together. And that what has happened and what is happening and what is to come is ordained by you. And so we are here this day to give you thanks for the promises you have made and to offer up our joyful affection to you. Be with us now as with our hearts we do this for the glory that is yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of exaltation is number seven in your hymnal from all that dwell below the skies. Thank you. Please be seated. Our scriptural call to repentance is from Isaiah 30, verses 15b and then verse 18. In it, we see these words of how we are to be saved and we are to be saved by returning and rest. 
in quietness and trust. And then verse 18, I've highlighted just for us to make sure we don't miss it, that the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And then we, in turn, wait for him. Hear now this reading from Isaiah. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Let us not keep the Lord waiting. Let us join together in our prayer of collective confession, as printed in your bulletin, taken from Psalm 51. Join with me now. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you, you only, have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Take a moment now to consider your walk and reflect upon what you need to say to the Lord regarding the failings and the sins and the things that beset you and keep you from him. Now hear the proclamation of forgiveness from Hebrews 2.18. For because he, Jesus, himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Please pray with me now as... We take the time to go to the Lord, for he longs to hear what we have to say. Heavenly Father, we have prayed and confessed to you what sins that have come to mind. And we have received assurance from you for forgiveness. Yet we long for a closer walk with you. 
And so, dear Lord, help us to ask ourselves, where have we been that we have a need of returning to you? Are we too much with the world? The world is too much with us. Your word has told us, do not love the world. Or another question we may ask, where, what have we been planning or preparing for that has kept us from communion or fellowship with you? that we would receive instead the quietness and trust which you provide, in which you provide our strength. So yes, Lord, it seems as though we are back to that word sin yet again. When we confess our sin, you are just and faithful to forgive us. But our walk continues, and we have perhaps little habits and things that are displeasing to you. We need to call upon your mighty power for those things that are done perhaps for our own amusement, which means, Lord, that we muse upon things that are without any substance. So, Lord, cause us to consider what we are about in our lives. I, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. And have us take stock of what we should be about. Keep us from being obstinate children who look to please themselves, but have no concern for what pleases their Heavenly Father. rather than planning and preparing for those things that are displeasing to you. For you have said in your word and spoken of the woe that is to those who carry through plans that are not yours. We need to know your plans, Father. We need to know what pleases you. So the simple answer is to help us if you would please, to make provisions for prayer, that through such times your grace will wean us of the world and its influences. And yes, Lord, even of our own desires, for we need desperately to get over ourselves, to go beyond the nagging cries of our own wishes and wants. Refine us then, that we may be truly set free and found in agreement in such a way that we could state with the apostle, I will not be dominated by anything. This would be to your glory as you conform us to the image of your son. So there is the forgiveness of sin, but there is also this overcoming that you speak of which we dearly long for, we groan for it. That day of salvation when all shall rise and we shall be with you. Well, while we walk and sojourn here, Lord, teach us to listen to your Holy Spirit.
at all times. For as much as our sins are forgiven through Christ's atoning work, your mercy may abound to those who plead for an end to a particular sin. Oh yes, Lord, we shall always be sinful, but there are those egregious sins that your children should know about that they can come to you and ask with help from your Holy Spirit to overcome. Help us to overcome the world and ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit and conform us to the likeness of your Son, Jesus. Then it will be possible for us to sing a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Teach us how to walk in your ways and with an undivided heart then we may come to you in prayer for those of your children that we know and care for that you have placed in our hearts. And Father, this day I would like to lift up the Snyders, Dennis and Diana as they travel, keep them safe and alert on the road, bring them to their destination tomorrow morning, cause them to be joyful always. And for our, our dear family, the Denims, who are, will be this morning traveling back to us after having a family gathering, also provide travel mercies for them. And then there are others whose situations need not to be enumerated before you because you know and understand. But Lord, I would just ask that you would be with our brothers, we think of Jerry and Andy, we think of Stacy, we think of Heidi, we think of Preston who is here, but yet he still suffers from something that is making him weak and he has had a tick bite that has resulted in this. But Lord, you are sovereign in all things. And Lord, I could not continue without stopping for a moment to think of the great sorrow that is ours at the loss of Jean and John. And the Panuchik family, we lift up to you. They grieve greatly, Lord, how hard it is to have such a sudden loss. Console them as only you can, we ask. Bring peace into their hearts. Help us to remember always that there is a reason and a purpose to your design. Nothing is by chance. You work all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us to remember that. Help us to try not to understand as much as to trust you and to be obedient to your statutes. 
We thank you for our dear pastor, Doug, and we ask that you would bless him this day and his family, Kristen and the family, for there is much that he does that they do. We are at a loss to really describe it, but we know that your hand is on him and you have anointed him to preach the good news. And Lord, this day may that news be felt in our hearts, for we are in a culture of people that rail against you with sophisticated imbecility, and they try to draw others into their rebellion. Lord, you have commanded us to pray for our enemies, and so, indeed, we pray for their souls, for their doom is sure unless you intervene and open their eyes to see the truth of the love you have for them and the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you then, Lord, for this time and this place. May you bless us in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The ushers will now collect the offering from the back.
At this time, we have the Apostles' Creed for our affirmation of faith, as printed in your bulletin. And would you answer the questions in bold? Christian, what do you believe concerning God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What do you believe concerning Jesus? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Christian, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit and his work? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's rise and praise the Lord with the doxology. Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture today, which comes from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 through 10. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Ikea. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia, Macedonia and Ikea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our hymn of reflection is I Need Thee Every Hour, number 674 in your hymnal.
So we just sang, I need thee. Need thee every hour. The psalm that we're looking at this morning, from which this hymn is taken, Psalm 86, uh, that, that may be too long. I, I need thee not only every hour, I need thee every minute. I need thee every second. As soon as I've just stated the, the vast need that I have for Christ, before that comes out of my mouth, I find myself more in need for him again. So this song that we're looking at uh, might not resonate with you if you feel like you've got things pretty well under control. In fact, you might be tempted to think, eh, you know, I'll take a nap or do something else for the next 40 minutes or so because this one really doesn't apply to me. And let me encourage you, let me actually beg of you that if you feel that way at all in the slightest then you need this far more than anything else. Please hear God's holy, inerrant word as I read it. This is from Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for you, you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you. For you will answer me. Among the gods, there, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, so that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Praise be to the Lord. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for your gracious, loving kindness, for the way that you hear us in our weakness, for the way that you usher us into your presence 
so that you might hear us and that we might know that you hear us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would lead us and direct us. Help this more and more to be our prayer and our song. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This song is a prayer. And prayer and songs often overlap in the, in the scripture. They're not, not all prayers are songs and not all songs are prayer. But this is one of the psalms, one of the songs that God has given to his people in the Psalter. Those 150 songs that, that God has given us to sing. And yet this psalm in particular, in, in the little inscription at the, at the top, describes it as a prayer of David. That this is a song that David is singing to the Lord, asking him for help. And I remember having grown up in the church and having heard people pray in lots of different contexts and worship services like this and Sunday school classes and Bible studies and all kinds of gatherings, before meals, after meals, before uh, birthday party cakes, uh, after uh, the, the winning of the game, all these kinds of different places, you hear God's people praying. And I remember as a young man thinking, gosh, I... I can't pray like, you know, the, the really good prayers. Have you ever, have you ever had that? Where, where you're at some function and to your horror you realize, oh, no, wait. They're like praying around in a circle that I'm standing in. So it's like it's going to come around to my turn and they're all praying out loud. And, and like they've been to graduate school in prayer, right? They, they know how to pray where it sounds really impressive. Do you know all those fancy words are not what God actually commends to us? Here is a prayer that I'm calling the Song of the Week because it starts out, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And I think oftentimes in our prayers, we forget the fact that we're poor and needy. Or it certainly sounds like we're not actually thinking that as, as we pray. But the scripture tells us that God hears us not because of our eloquence. God hears us not even for what the world tells us of the sincerity of our hearts. Because the scripture goes on and says, your hearts are desperately wicked. If you're banking on God hearing you because you really are sincere, you're in deep trouble. It's not our sincerity, it's not our eloquence, it's not our righteousness that has anything to do with God hearing our prayer. It is entirely based on Christ's holiness, sincerity, and accomplishment of all good things that he gives to us on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name, not as some rabbit's tail, or rabbit's foot, rather. Rabbit's tail, that's not right. Right? It's not just, you know, kind of sprinkling holy water on our prayers and hoping that that works. And you say, well, but wait, you're, we're looking at this psalm that's before Christ even came. David here doesn't pray in Jesus' name. Well, no, in fact, he does. 
Every time you see in the scripture, Lord, where it's, it's all caps, it's Yahweh. And as we saw in our year working through the book of Philippians, Jesus has received that name that is above every other name, the Lord's name Yahweh, the God of the covenant. So David here prays in the Old Testament's version of Jesus' name. He's not only praying in his name, but he's praying by faith, exhibited by all the times that he says, Lord, hear me because or for, for I am your child, for you are my God. He's, he's approaching God because of God's promises to him as part of God's people. And that's exactly what we do when we pray in Jesus' name, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those promises. In our time looking at this song and prayer, I want us to look at these four things. And let me just help you a little bit in terms of listening. I'm going to spend more time on, on the first point than the other three points. The, other, the last three points go pretty quickly. So when you get to that point of, oh my goodness, he's still on point one, it, it's okay. The three, two, three, and four go quickly. But these, these four points. First, let us learn with David in the school of prayer. And we'll, we'll look at how this is not only a prayer, but a model for us in prayer. Second, we need to deepen our intimacy with God through prayer. That's one of the reasons that God has given us prayer in, in general, is, is that we might grow in that knowledge of him and intimacy with him. Third, let us see ourselves more accurately through prayer. Not only do we learn about God in prayer, but we also learn about ourselves in prayer. And then fourth, let us trust Messiah together in our prayer. So the, the first thing for us to look at here is how do we learn about prayer with David in this school of prayer that God's given us in Psalm 86. This song is given not only as a prayer, but also as a model for prayer. And there are a couple of different ways that we see that in the text. First, it's part of the Psalter. God's given us these 150 songs for us to sing and pray in, in us learning what it means to pray. And that he doesn't limit our singing only to the Psalter. In fact, in your Taking Gathered Worship home that I'm going to have you hopefully look at through the week, there are several different passages there where it talks about singing and praying, and, and those kind of used interchangeably. But also we have the place in, in Colossians where he encourages us to encourage one another in songs, psalms, and hymns. God doesn't limit our singing to only the psalms, but he, he kind of gets us started. He gives us 150 different examples to sing these, but also then he's made us with creativity to, to make new songs that, that should follow these same kind of patterns. Second, we see the subscription that I mentioned to already at the beginning as, as it being a prayer of David, but... But David here is not just as an individual, he's also as the king of God's people. And so his prayers, his songs, are to serve as a model for us. He's leading his people into prayer. Just as when he brought the tabernacle by God's command into Jerusalem, David danced before the Lord. Not, not just in his own exuberance, but he was leading the people into Yahweh has come to dwell with us. 
and much against his wife's embarrassment about him as a dignified king, dancing and, and making what she thought a fool of himself. Rather, David saw his role rightly as the king of God's people to lead us in foolish exuberance, at least in the world's eyes. Do you know, sometimes in prayer, being in God's presence, we might just find ourselves undone. And God actually commends that. Remember Jesus talking about the Pharisee and the tax gatherer who went into the temple to pray? And the Pharisee said, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners. Where the, the tax gatherer just keened in front of the Lord. Forgive me, a sinner. Unable to say anything eloquent. Barely able to speak at all before the holy, matchless God. If we're praying the way that the scripture teaches us to pray, we'll have far, far more groaning in our prayers than we have eloquence. Now, that's not to say that there's not a place for composing careful written prayers and praying with eloquence. It's the God of the universe that we're speaking to, after all. But that can become wooden and rote. David starts this prayer confessing that I am poor and needy. It's a good place to start. But not only do we find this humility in prayer, very briefly, I just want to talk about the occasion, the substance, and the basis of prayers that we, we learn from David here. He comes to the Lord in the occasion of his need. He's not only admitting these things and humbling himself by recognizing uh, these things uh, before the Lord, but he actually has a need. And I think in, in America today, we, we often don't want to even admit that we have needs. We'd, we'd rather just ignore that altogether. And in, in the last several weeks, I know several of us have had flooding and damage and all kinds of havoc because of the rains. And, and please hear me, that the world around us in such instances, tends to stress our resilience. And, and our resilience is a good thing, but, but we need to always recognize that any resilience that we happen to have is a gift of the Lord himself. And so the impulse to be Vermont strong, right? We're, we're going to pull ourselves through this, is actually lunacy. When we see the floodwaters that could wipe a house off of its foundation and leave nothing there, no trace of anything there whatsoever, for us to respond with, we will rebuild, without first falling on our faces and saying, Lord, you alone are God. Our pluck in such instances 
is arrogance. Now, we need to recognize the occasion of our prayer is because we're weak and needy people. But not only do we need to see the occasion, but also the substance. David here is writing this, this song and prayer because he's poor and needy, because he's being besieged and all of these things, but, but also he comes with an actual message to the Lord. And I want you to see two different, different things. Uh, here, first there's a request, a series of requests, and then uh, also the praise that, that David gives even in the midst of his need. You see, in both these requests and, and praises, he's acknowledging his position. God, you are God. You alone are God. And, and I am but a creature. But I'm your creature. And we have this relationship, not because of anything that I've done, but because of your grace, because of your mercy, because out of all of the mass of humanity, you plucked Abraham out of the masses and, and decided to make him the father of a multitude and to be God to him, and to take him as your people. That, that's the only reason we have to come before the Lord in these things. And we see in this these requests. So, for instance, he mentions or asks the Lord to hear him twice. He asks the Lord to listen. He asks the Lord to answer him, to turn toward him, to guard him, to save him twice, to have mercy twice, to bring joy, to teach to give two different times, and to grant. He comes into the Lord's presence asking for things from the Lord. And again, oftentimes we're very reticent to do this. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. No, oftentimes as pastor, I'll call on you when you've been in the hospital or you've had some horrific thing happen. And, and so often when I ask, how can we help you? Oh, we're, we're fine. We're, we're okay, thanks. And, and again, that, that's great on one level, but not so great on the other level. And, and you may not need anything from me in particular, but that's not the point. How can we as God's people come alongside you? We need to, to recognize that we are needy, and if we are needy, to then ask for the things that we need. And that's what we find here with David. Lots of requests in his prayer. But that's not all he does. He also praises God. He thanks God. He acknowledges the truthfulness of God. So he says things like, you are my God. You are forgiving. You are good. You are abounding in love twice. You are peerless or matchless. You are great. You are the only God. You are my deliverer. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are faithful. You help those in need. You comfort. You see, in, in both the requests and then the praises, the focus is on God. Lord, you have what I need, so I'm coming to you to ask for these things. And as I'm asking you for these things, I'm also acknowledging the greatness, the wonder of who you are. The substance of David's prayer here is very God-centered. And I think so often we will, we will do some of the same asking and thanking or praising, but, but ours oftentimes are, are very much 
focused on us. He asks God for things, but sometimes we ask by saying, I need this because I, because I, because this, because me, because I. Rather than saying, Lord, you know, you know what I need, and, and here's, I'm admitting, I'm agreeing with you. Yes, I need this. Would you hear me? Would you listen? Would you grant because of your goodness, of your greatness? But not only do we see the occasion and the substance of the prayer, we also see the basis of the prayer. Again and again, he uses this little word for, F-O-R. He asks, hear and answer me, why? For I am poor and needy. Guard my life, why? For I am devoted to you. You could just as easily use the word because there instead of for. Have mercy on me, O Lord, because I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant because to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So he makes all of these requests and asks because he is needy, because he is pledged to God, because of, of these things. But, but then as he turns to praise the Lord, all, the, the real basis is not just his neediness, but is God's promise. It is God's faithfulness. It is God's mercy. The, the basis that we have to ask God anything, the basis that we have to approach God to begin with, is because of his great mercy. We are his people according to his promise, and he hears us based on that mercy. This is not just here in the Psalms, but it is again and again and again in the Scripture. We're, we're shown how God not only calls Abram, but responds to him because of his mercy. We see how God delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of sin. Why? Because of God's great mercy. He goes with the people into the promised land. Why? Because they're obviously such grade-A spiritual people. No. They go into the present into the promised land having the whole first generation died in the desert more than a million and only two Joshua and Caleb are part of that first generation who go into the promised land that's not a stellar recommendation of these people they go into the promised land with God going before them why? because God is merciful because God has promised by himself on his own honor, because of his own character, that he will take them to a blessing that they don't deserve. Again and again, this is the theme of Scripture, that he treats us based on his mercy. And this is ultimately what we see in Christ. Even after the captivity, even after the horror of the being expunged from the land and, and being carted off to, to Babylon, even after 70 years, they still don't repent, and he brings them back anyway because of his great mercy. And 400 years they're in, in the promised land, and still they don't get it. And so God sends God the Son because of his mercy. They still haven't deserved it. They still haven't done anything to, to cause God to do this. He does it 
because of his mercy. Praise be to God. And so it is in Christ and through Christ that we are to pray as an expression of our faith to God. So let me just cover real briefly these last three pieces, and, and they're designed to just be quick. First, let us deepen our intimacy with God through prayer. If we recognize these things about God, the more that we pray to him, the more that we sing these kinds of songs to him, that it's like any relationship. As we, as we communicate, hearing him from his word and then praying that back to him, the more that we get to know what God is actually like. The more that he uses to reveal himself in and through his word. That as we pray, we experience his loving kindness, chesed, the, the faithfulness of God to his promises. That, that in this connection, in this prayer, we grow closer to him as we know more about him and open ourselves more to him. Don't you find this in your marriage? Don't you find this in your relationship with your children or grandchildren? That if you don't talk with them very much, you don't get to know them very much. And so you don't have very much intimacy with them. But the more that you share your life, that you open up, that you admit, yes, these are my needs. These are the weaknesses that I have. Oh, Lord, you know them all, but I want to confess them to you. I want you to, to know that I see these weaknesses in me. And I'm asking you to do what only you can do to help me in these things. We'll find a deepness of our intimacy with God through prayer in this way. And then we'll not only see God better, but we'll see ourselves more accurately. As, as we pray and see God more rightly as he truly is, the better that we understand ourselves. His great love for us. Why, why did Jesus need to go to the cross for us? Is, is our sin really that bad? Yes, but we constantly try to minimize it. I mean, I know it's bad, but not that bad. But then as you look to the cross, as you see all that Jesus has done, wow. And, and then even being born again, even having this relationship with God, I continue to struggle. Even to, to read my Bible as I should, to pray as I should. These things don't just come easily. But I've got to work at these things. Oh Lord, as you reveal yourself to me and show me the, the needs that I have, I better understand myself. And that helps me then to better trust in God in what we're doing. That leads us to the last part of trusting Messiah together in prayer. And, and I want to close with this, this. This particular instance of crying out to the Lord in our need and then trusting him to meet that need. It's here in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So that, that ask, that request for an undivided heart, first and foremost, it shows that David is aware that his heart is divided. That, that in his love for God, he's, he's divided. He, he loves God with part of his heart, and yet he loves the things of the flesh. He loves himself 
far more than he loves God at times as well. And so knowing this, and as he prays, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth, he recognizes, okay, if I'm going to do that, I really need to have you, God, do something about my divided heart. So please give me an undivided heart so that with, an, with a, a whole heart, I may fear your name without distraction, without anything in me leading me astray. David is asking God to help make him more like the Messiah that he's longing for. He's asking God to help him in living righteously, in obeying joyfully. And he's, in expressing this desire, this request, he's expressing, see, his longing to be with God fully. He's he's standing on the promises of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. And there there will be a time when there will be nothing left in between us. When you will love me with your whole heart. And so David's saying, yes, Lord. That's what I want. I I don't want to just dance in exuberance before you in in the tabernacle one moment and and then be filled with lust for Bathsheba on another moment. No, I, I just want to love you fully and obey you joyfully. But then notice what David goes on to do. Having just asked God to do this, to give him an undivided heart, notice what comes next in verse 12. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. Isn't that extraordinary? What did he just ask God for and thereby admit that he didn't have? He just admitted, Lord, I can't worship you. I I can't praise you with all my heart because my heart's divided. I need you to give me an undivided heart. But then he goes on to declare, I will. Not, I hope to, I'd like to. It should be nice if I. No, he says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. What is that? It's a proclamation of faith. It's him saying, I've asked God for this thing. It wasn't a Lamborghini. It wasn't something to, to, for me to enjoy in my flesh. I was asking God for something that is, I know to be in his will. He wants me to have an undivided heart with which to praise him. And I've asked him for that in faith. And so I know what? That he will do it. I know that he will do that. Because he tells me in his word that if I ask him for things that are in his will, he will do them. And so David follows his request of God with faith in him. I know that you will do this. It's it's like Abraham who's told to sacrifice the, the son of promise, Isaac. And he has no idea how that's going to work. Because God has, has provided Isaac. And he is the child of promise. It's through Isaac that the entire salvation of all of God's people hinge. 
And then God says, okay, take him up and, and sacrifice him. What? But Abraham, by faith, heads up the mountain. I don't know how you're going to do this, God. But you've promised it. Beloved, do you see that that's what God is calling us to do? In the midst of all kinds of confusion, in the midst of all kinds of things of, I don't know how that's going to work. And for us to be careful, we're, we're, not, we're not expecting God to do things just because we want him to do. But we're growing in our knowledge of the word of God so that we know what he has actually promised. Not, not using his word to our convenience. But Lord, you've said you'll make your name glorified. And you've said you're going to do that throughout all the world. And so that means that you're going to glorify your name here in Woodstock. And throughout Vermont. And throughout New Hampshire and to the ends of the world. And I don't have any idea how you're going to do that. That's way above my pay grade. But you've said you're going to do that. And so when I, by faith, say, Lord, use me. Help me to reach my neighbor in Christ's name. I don't know how you're going to do that, but I do know this. Your name will be glorified. At the end of the day, my neighbor may or may not come to you. I may end up with egg on my face or not. I may be laughed out of town, but if I trust you and your promises and say, you have said you will glorify your name throughout all the earth, and then I step out in faith to glorify your name, you will do it. And I can take that to the bank and I can step out in faith and tell everyone that will listen to me, Jesus alone is God. And his promises will stand for all eternity. That is the boldness that we receive by being weak. He says, in your weakness, I will be strong. Beloved, we struggle as a church here at FCCW, not because God is not strong enough, but God help us. It is often because we refuse to be weak. We refuse to humble ourselves, admit our weakness and say, okay, Lord, you've promised what you will do, so we're going to take you at your word. May God forgive us of our arrogance and make us far more weak to his great glory. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you have conquered death. There's no difficulty with your strength. Oh, Lord, but forgive us, for there is great difficulty with us admitting our weakness. Help us, Lord, to bow before you, to submit to you, and simply to take you at your word. For it's in Christ's great name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in response to God's great promises in his word. O oh God, beyond all praising, hymn number 660, let's stand together as we sing.
Thank you. you. may be seated. I apologize. I threw you a curveball there, giving you the wrong number. Well, we come now to the Lord's table. It's our uh, tradition here at First Congregational Church of Woodstock to uh, celebrate this feast uh, among God's people on the first Sunday of each week. And this feast, the, the bread and the cup, is something that Christ has given us as a, a way of showing us his faithfulness. It's a, it's a celebratory meal that is tied to the Exodus Passover. That, that Jesus, there on the night before he was betrayed, gathered with his disciples in the upper room, took part in the Passover meal. Remember that meal that God had given them on the night before they left Egypt. And it was the night of the culmination of all of the... the um, plagues that God had sent on Egypt. And with each of those plagues, God kept reiterating that he would use those things that they might know that he is the Lord. And that God had demonstrated his sovereignty over all the earth in delivering his people Israel out of Egypt and up into the promised land. But in doing so, that last plague was the angel of death flew over the whole of, of Egypt. And it was only those who by faith in Yahweh had followed him in obedience. They had sacrificed the Passover lamb and spread the, the lamb's blood over the, the doorposts. And in seeing the blood, the angel might pass over their homes and not kill the eldest son of that family. But throughout Egypt, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth as the dead sons testified to the strength and might of Yahweh. And the living sons in Israel testified to God's great mercy. In the midst of that Passover meal, Jesus himself, who had come as the Passover lamb that all the other Passover lambs through the centuries had pointed to, Jesus there took the bread, said, this is my body. Took the cup and said, this is my blood. He himself, the Passover lamb, sacrificed for us. And that's exactly why he went to the cross. It wasn't that the Jewish leaders outsmarted him. It wasn't that the Roman government was more powerful. No, Jesus voluntarily went to the cross as the sacrifice for us. And so there's perhaps nothing in our entire lives that we do to demonstrate our neediness than what we're about to do right now. By taking this bread and this cup, we are testifying, I am weak and needy. And Jesus has stood in my place. He's taken the wrath of God, the Father, on himself so that I would be spared so that we together, as the family of God, might know life instead of death. So, in the name of Christ, I would invite all of you who are His, that is, you have professed your faith in Christ, you've admitted your neediness and your weakness, said, I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. If that's true of you this morning, then welcome. Please participate together with us in this feast. 
But let me at the same time caution you that if you've never bowed before Christ as your Lord, don't, don't take this bread and this cup, think that, well, this is, this is some religious good deeds. This will help me out with the big guy upstairs. No, it's not that at all. In fact, he warns us that to partake of his feast without faith in Christ actually has deadly consequences. And so, just for a moment now, let's pray and ask God to prepare us to participate in this holy sacrament. Oh Lord, God, thank you. We pray that you would work in us, Holy Spirit. Do your business with us, that if we if we've gotten a little too big in our britches, if we've, if we've fallen to the temptation of arrogance, thinking that we've got this, Lord, that you would help us to see in this feast that there's no way in the world that we can conquer death. But you, Lord Christ, have. That you bring us this communion with you as a way of reminding us and working in us the power of your resurrection. And so if we're uncertain about that, Lord, we pray that you would work in us, grant us faith, help us to trust in you, and so to submit to your Lordship, Jesus, we pray. We ask that you would set apart these ordinary things of bread and the fruit of the vine for your holy and sacred use. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The elders would come now.
our Savior, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take and eat. Jesus called this fruit of the vine the new covenant in his blood, the promise that his blood holds for us. That as much as the blood of Abel cried out to the guilt of Cain, that Christ's blood covers us, speaks righteousness for us to God the Father as Christ has sacrificed himself. And so rejoice, take, and drink. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have your cups yet. Sorry, it's been a long morning already. The elders will come, we'll distribute the cups.
See, Jesus doesn't just call us to a morose kind of life. Oh, we're so weak. We're so weak. No, we recognize our weakness so that we can praise the Lord of his strength. So we want you to go from here not focusing on how weak we are, but how strong our Savior is. He calls us to celebrate, take, and drink, for Christ has conquered death. So with that, let's stand together and rejoice the Lord is King. Hymn number 310. Indeed, let us rejoice. 
And now to the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Please take a moment and be seated. Amen. We hope you'll join us for some refreshments in the Billings Room. Stick around and get to know some folks. Thank you so much. Go in peace. <laughs>